In this episode of the Clubhouse podcast, we are hugely fortunate to be joined by Mr. Jack Martin. So Jack has an incredible story about how his life was essentially turned on its head in the space of one evening, how this led to him taking up golf as his main sport after being a hugely promising cricketer, and an incredible platform that he is launching in the new year to help those less privileged um, experience all of the joys and benefits that being able to partake in sport um, has in terms of what it brings to people's lives, how it helps them connect to others. So um, this was an incredible podcast to to, um, record, certainly gave us all lots to take away and think about and ponder um, and feeling hugely, hugely grateful that Jack came on and shared his story with us. So um, hope you all enjoy this. So Jack obviously used to play quite a lot of cricket and stuff, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I played... Yeah, so I played at a decent level. That was like my sport growing up. And then got to sort of academy level, second team, playing some first class stuff. Um, and then Dave was, he talks a great game, of, <laughs> but actually he's pretty naff. Oh, no. <laughs> listen to this. He's told me he's going to listen to this. So. <laughs> he'll, he'll agree. He's ever won, he played one ever first team game for Banster Cricket Club and he um, was unregistered. Um, and cost us 13 points because he was unregistered. We might need to register Dave. He's never planned the ones. <laughs> he, he told me he played for England. Yeah, right, in his head. <laughs> he has to change his name to unregistered Dave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so you started with, with essentially cricket first as your main sport. What kind of age were you playing cricket from? Uh, so I played from sort of 10 and 11. So I played rugby. I've always played rugby. And then sort of needed a summer sport. Um, yeah, and then started playing cricket and actually was pretty good at it. Um, and then, yeah, got a real bad, got a really bad injury, basically. Um, got a, like a virus on my spine. Um, so that was six, six years ago in April, end of April. Um, and that stopped me playing anything, stopped me doing anything, really. I always played a bit of golf, sort of like social, like two or three times a year, but nothing, nothing too serious. Um but then, yeah, I spent a while in hospital and they basically said, look, you're never going to, you've got 5% chance of ever walking again. You're definitely not going to be able to run, et cetera, et cetera. So then obviously came out of hospital three months, four months later, um, got up on my feet eventually. And then I was like, I need to take something up. I need to get some form of like competition in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when like the golf addiction firmly started. Um yeah. Because it was quite, especially at the start, it was quite easy to get better because my mobility was getting better. Um, and they just, yeah, proper addicted and then got better and better, I guess. And then just love it. Yeah, properly love it. It's like my my, my time of the week that is purely mine. And I yeah. love it. <laughs> So what was the what was the kind of like physio process? Obviously, you mentioned kind of three to four months in hospital and then obviously being told you'd have like a 5% chance of walking again. Um, you know, what was that kind of process like in terms of getting back onto your feet and, and how long after that was it that you essentially decided that you wanted to go and, and you know, make golf your sport? Yeah. So um, I spent, so in the hospital, I was in rehab hospital. So I did four weeks in St. George's in Tootin, like getting all the treatment, like medical stuff. And then they sent me up to Stanmore in Watford, um, which was um, sort of a specialist orthopaedic hospital. Um, so every day I'd go and see the physio there um, 
and I'd see like the occupational therapists where they were sort of teaching me how to live in a wheelchair and how to get get by that way. So I did, yeah, did that for well, yeah, three and a half months in Stanmore, and then pretty fortunate that my parents, not that they've got loads of money, but they spent a fair bit of money on me going to see a physio sort of most days, even when I was at home. And so yeah, it's pretty that probably lasted for well over a year when I was out that I'd go and see a physio three or four times a week um just to I don't know just to get basic life skills back mm-hmm. like living on crutches when I first got out of the wheelchair like it's really tough like even going to the kitchen and like grabbing a pint of water or something like you can't then walk back to the front room because you've got your flipping crutches in your hands and yeah. it's really tough so then yeah got a little bit more mobile and then a couple of good mates of mine play golf. And they were like, Jack, you'll be able to play golf. We'll get a buggy um, and just give it a go. Because my hand, like my top half above my belly button was still fine. I could still feel everything. Yeah. Sorry, um, if you don't mind me saying as well, I remember the first time that we ever played golf. Hmm. Um, we played me, you and Dave. And um, Dave sort of explained to me, he said, oh, Jack might potentially not have to, not be able to walk around. And um, so I, th- I said, oh, okay, guess, whatever. And I got there and actually I saw you and you looked, you look as, as as fit as a fiddle. Do you don't you know what I mean? You would never like you 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 walk like you've always walked. You know what I mean? Like you've never had anything going on really. And it, it took a lot of time. Like it did take a lot of time. I had to do like yeah, I had to teach myself like my walking pattern because I can't. I still can't feel can't feel my feet very well. Can't feel my legs very well. So mm-hmm. I've got no real perception of of where they are and what they're doing. Um, so it's, yeah, it took a bit of time to learn, like to heel toe, like my feet are falling in. So I look like they're where the inner soles to straighten them up and stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot of walking in the mirror, a lot of trying to walk up and down straight lines to see what it looked like to try and get that perception, Harry, that I'm all right. No one would, no one would ever know. Like, oh, not, not no at all. I, I didn't, I, I came off the, I didn't mention anything today. If you didn't get a buggy. And I didn't say anything. And I, I remember afterwards thinking it wasn't until about two or three days later. I said, what are you on about, Dave? About that? And then he sort of mentioned it. But I think I, I remember you sort of first, like, first saying to me, and I, I just remember thinking, like, the shock factor you must have had of waking up and not being able to fill your legs, basically. Yeah, no, well, and it was as quick as that. It was, like, I was, I was fit then, like, before it all happened. I was running, running sort of half marathons, like, two or three times a week. And then just woke up, woke up one morning, they're caned. So I went to the hospital after work. So I taught the full day and then went to hospital. And they just said, oh, you might have a trapped, trapped nerve or something in your back. And um, I was like, oh, okay, but this is really hurting. They were like, yeah, here's those painkillers. Took, took them, probably took too many. And then about half, seven, eight o'clock, my foot, my right foot had just like, was real floppy. Oh. I just put it down to like, just having too many painkillers. So I went to bed and then got up at about 12. I woke up and my legs were yeah, in so much pain. I couldn't have the quilt on top of them. It was so painful. And then, yeah, called the Hannah. She called the ambulance because like, this isn't right. Um, yeah, got taken into the hospital. And then, yeah, they diagnosed that I'd had loads, loads of patches of swelling all down my spine and in my brain. And this, this particular patch was at L1. So like, I don't know, level with your belly button maybe, just above. Yeah. And that was the only one that had actually crushed my spine. So I was actually pretty lucky that yeah. it was that one. It wasn't more than one. Um, so yeah, that was it was a yeah, pretty big shock factor. But 
I don't know, I think it makes you a better person to have a little bit of adversity and not take everything for granted. I was yeah. one of those annoying, not to big myself up, but I was quite an annoying kid that I was quite good at like sport. I could sort of do most things all right and just took it for granted. So gold's been the real first one that I've had to really work out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find that quite a lot with like like with athletes in general that actually golf's not one of those you can just sort of it's one of the more, more annoying sports that you can't just be good off straight off the bat I think yeah not at all and I've played with a lot of cricketers who can obviously strike a cricket ball yeah but their golf is like proper wayward and um yeah it's not an easy sport and I think that's why it is addictive because it yeah. isn't it's not you've got an a natural ability I guess but it's not that's not good enough it's nowhere near good enough that's how, the thing, there's so many moving obviously... parts and you you can't in you know for sports like cricket tennis you're reacting to something aren't you as opposed to golf you're reacting to a stationary object you know like you have to start the whole sequence off you know <laughs> and i guess in your mind it should be so easy the ball's not moving like it's quite a i don't know intrinsic internal sport isn't it you should just be able yeah. to replicate an easy movement but it's far from an easy easy movement and to be fair jack as well you've sort of um like not only you only sort of like played two or three times a year, but you've actually now got down to five, which is like considering you had to learn how to walk again, then learn how to play golf. Yeah. So um, that, that is like a, that's no sort of a mean feat, is it? No, it's probably something I'm pretty proud of actually. Like the whole story bet, from yeah. six years ago to get to where I am is, and there's a lot of people at the golf club that would have no idea, no. Uh, which is, I like it because I'm on the same playing field as everyone. Yeah. If they asked me to chase after the ball, I'd have no chance. But no, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we won't sign sign up for speed golf. <laughs> no, no, or me. <laughs> what I'm quite interested to know then is because, like, I mean, I know how it feels if I haven't swung a golf club in about three weeks. I feel like I'm playing with somebody else's golf swing. Oh yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to know. Like, you know, you mentioned you played sort of two to three times before, obviously the the accident. You know, per year, when you obviously got, went back to to um, playing again you know after the physio after the recovery like did that feel like just starting again with a brand new golf swing did was there parts of it that still felt quite familiar in terms of how you moved your upper body you know what, what did that feel like yeah I think my upper body was um was pretty similar I think that was looked fairly natural still overswing but that's still there even now so um but my legs just did not move they were like they had like pins in my feet and they were just like completely stuck to the floor. Um, so that's been the, the hardest thing, like teaching them how to move and that I can, that they can move and they can do it. Um, but it's, yeah, that was the hard, the top bit of the swing was fine. Like I knew how to hold it. I knew sort of how to play generally. Um, but yeah, it was the legs bit of it that was the obviously the biggest issue, getting them moving at all. And then there's days where, like they're a lot slower. So then it's like everything's out of sequence because they're not moving at the same pace they were two days ago. Um, so yeah, that's probably the hardest bit with them now, like reacting if they're having a, like a slow day or if they're, I don't know, if they're cold and the nerves are going mental in them, like them reacting to that, to adjust sort of my top half, which is which is normal, a normal person's top half. Um, but again, that's like a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Just to know because obviously I think so much of the game is played through how you feel the ground through your feet. You know, so if you kind of take that away, 
Um, it's amazing how, you know, and you're in a good example there of somebody in sort of the past six years who managed to get down to a really good standard, despite the fact that that's something you might not feel quite so much as you would have done before. Um, yeah. You know, so. It's different if you're like in a, a slopey lie, then it yeah. becomes real difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think when you're like, um, like, like, starting from starting from from where you're going and then obviously the amount of practice that you've had to put in and stuff like that like how many times a week do you practice do you reckon um i reckon especially recently now i want to take it really seriously and try and get down as low as i can i'm definitely practicing two or three times a week um play once a week at least in the summer it was like every day sort of thing yeah i, I think I don't know. Like, I would firmly say I'm addicted to it. Like, I, I rarely walk around the house without practicing my golf club. It's so addictive, isn't something. it? I've always got a golf club or a golf ball somewhere. Or, yeah. 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 And I watch it constantly. Like, yeah. I'm always watching it and like slowing down the telly to look at their takeaway to see what, to see it. Yeah, it's such a fascinating sport. And especially like from playing good sport and like movement analysis sort of thing to see everyone swing, how different it is. I'm quite like um, quite a chameleon. Like, I think I copy a lot of people's swings. Yeah. In the, like I know when I yeah. play with Harry, like I feel like I've got a better swing because I try and copy elements of his swing. I don't even try like subconsciously. You're like, oh yeah, that looks good. I'll try that. Yeah. Um, well, me and Harry were just it, chatting about it. It's so wayward when he plays. With <laughs> <laughs> me and Harry were just chatting about when we play together, how we play so much worse. Yeah. I end know. up just we're trying to bomb just it. Hit it past each other all day. <laughs> Yeah. So um that's um yeah, that's that's mental. That is mental. Obviously, like like predominantly the, I mean, when I first thought like me and Adam were talking about like up seeing if we could get you on initially to chat about like your charity stuff, which obviously we're gonna go on to now. But then when Ad once Adam said to me, Oh, like, what's Jack like? And tell me a bit about Jack. And I explained to him about your thing with we can't not talk about that because it's just it's just it um it is cool. Nothing else. If something else, like someone else could potentially listen to it, do you know what I mean? That's that's. I mean, it's obviously a very like it's a, it's a niche sort of scenario. But you just, I think it's such a such a nuts story, isn't it? It is, and I think it's quite easy for me to take it for granted. It's like my day to day. Yeah, it's just normal. Like some days I get up and my legs are rubbish and golf's a bit harder. But um, yeah. it is cool that I, yeah, that I can play decent golf, given yeah. that I can't feel my legs very well. So it's. And especially when you watch all like the tutorial videos and people are like talking about hip movements and everything, you're like, I don't know, can you feel me? Because I've got no idea where they're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I find amazing about with golf as well is when people are playing around like limitations and yet they still get to like incredible standard. Like, do you remember the have you heard of the golfer Calvin Pete? And he was no. like he was a PGA tour player and he was the he was the straightest driver on tour pretty much every single year he was on tour. And he had one arm that was essentially bent into a position and just stayed in that position. So yeah. all the way through the swing, it would stay in like a bent position. But it meant he was just incredibly straight off the tee, even though he wasn't very long off the tee. He was just incredibly straight off the tee. Yeah. And there's a few players like John Rahm's got like a bit like anchor up, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that and like, you know, is that part of actually why he's such a great player? Because that club foot, he's worked around it and formed such a like efficient movement, you know. Well, he's yeah, got like he's got like hypermobile wrists, but one particular way, hasn't he? So he can bend them really low, like inwards. But I mean, he can't bend them this way, essentially. So that's when he gets to the top of his backswing, he goes to here, and then he goes even more as he comes down. Really, Whereas, and that's that's yeah. part of 
Yeah, yeah. Well, he can't, like, if you look, he, I've seen the interview and he sort of shows how much he can't really move his wrist this way at all. But this is like nearly round touching the back mm. of his, uh, the back of his wrist, which is nuts. And then, uh, and then obviously his foot was, he was born with his foot facing the wrong way. So that to break his foot and then put it back the right way. I think it was his right foot. So he can't really, yeah. so that's why, I mean, it's, it doesn't really move, does it, to be fair? And that makes sense, I guess, why he has to bow his wrist so much. If his yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just why he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you get less of a bad now that I can't get into that John Rahm position. Yeah, mate, not many people can. <laughs> it's not like if you if you try and bend your wrist that way, most people can bend them quite a lot. Whereas actually, if you try them sort of like flex your wrist as opposed to extend it, you can't really. It hurts yeah. a little bit, I think. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't feel comfortable. No, sure. it's a trendy position, I would say, more than anything. Like I don't think you have to get in. You, you, do you know what I mean? It's just it's like what people do it because that's what they because they have something else that matches up on the way. Down to be able to get it back to square, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So do you yeah. want to go and talk? We'll go on to talk about the um, the charity. I'll let you lead off, Harry, because you know obviously much more about it than I do. But yeah, so no, um, basically, uh, I was speaking to Dave, who was our mutual friend, and he told me about that Jack works for a charity. Um, essentially, I mean, obviously, you can. I'll let you. I'll let you take this off, Jack. But it's essentially trying to help um, underprivileged children get into sports that they potentially not might not be able to. I'm, I just I remember when I was younger, you sort of if 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 a child or if someone was perhaps slightly underprivileged, they might be given like a a ten week course at football, but then they might not have certain things that they could ha have to allow them to do that course. Just even things like socks and and. and trainers or stuff like that so obviously that's that's what your charity is main mainly aimed at jack is that right yeah absolutely so i work for a big a big group of schools uh, so we've got 41 schools that work in our trust um so there's a lot of kids like nearly seventeen thousand kids in the trust um and there's a lot of them so three three and a half thousand of them are classified as sort of underprivileged um and that's sort well that's all by financial means so their parents earn less than £16,000 combined. Um, so then when you think about everything and everything costs money um, and these families basically don't have any disposable income, um, a lot of those those students, they would like, get free school meals and that's potentially the only meal they eat during the day. Um, and then when you think of like definitely my upbringing, I had exposure to everything. Any sport that I saw on the telly, mum and dad would pay for me to go and give it a go or to go and get a racket or whatever to give it a try. Um, and these families obviously don't have, don't have the means to do that. So I sat down with our CEO and sort of said, look, we've got to try and help them because that's like the most enjoyable bit of life, like these opportunities and experiences that these, these kids, unfortunately, for whatever reason, don't have. Um, so, yeah, we've set up, set up a foundation um, across all of our schools to try and raise funds to support these to support those students so the aim would be that they sort of apply to to us as a school as a foundation um, to support them so use golf for example they've seen golf and they've given it a go um, and they've gone to the range and hired clubs for for five quid a go whatever but they're actually half decent and they want to they want to push it along they would sort of apply to us and we would try and fund them um, to join a golf club or to join or to get some clubs um, purely because a lot of my friends have come from sport. A lot of the best times of my life have come from sport. Yeah. Um, I think it's really sad that some people don't get the exposure to not just sport, arts, drama, 
obviously not everyone's sporty um but without money you just don't you can't have that and you've got no chance of going to do anything fun in my opinion because everything costs money mm. um and it's been a real eye-opener seeing some of the <clears throat> some of the stories that are coming out of the schools of what kids have to go through um, yeah. and what poverty really I don't know really is and so close to home um, I think we think that poverty is in foreign countries and third world countries but it's pretty close um, and the, the parents and the kids leave some of them leave a pretty tough tough life they're being able to pay for them to join a rugby club or learn to play the guitar giving them 100 quid or something is not going to break a lot of people's banks and make could make a massive difference to to a lot of people a lot of kids yeah i think as well it's not it's not just um just that time in their life it's then how that that sort of like one moment of their life could affect the rest of their life if that makes sense like if they get that if they get that opportunity to go and play golf or go and play cricket or learn a guitar or whatever who they might meet yeah that then and what doors that opens up for them like through so, life i don't think you can you, you can't underemphasize actually how powerful it can be building a network through something like a, an activity like sport life i think about um growing up within golf you know how many people i got to meet how many people that i still know from you know my days as a junior golfer Mm. um and, and 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 the opportunities that does get and if you don't have those opportunities outside of a purely like a, a classroom setting you know where where are you meant to find them where are you meant to and obviously you see see with a lot of these people when they're taken from positions of you know poverty and um and being in really rough areas how actually you know building community through sport has such a huge huge impact it really does and you think about not all kids are great in the classroom. And then you take away a big sort of talent pool that they might be amazing on the football pitch and they never get to try it properly. Yeah. Um, and how many sort of famous or very successful people haven't been great at school? And then their PE teachers sort of thought, wow, you're actually really good at this. And then they've invested a bit of time and it's transformed their whole life. Um yeah, there's so many success stories like Dame Kelly Holmes. She was an absolute nightmare at school, but her PE teacher sort of noticed that she was talented and the school sort of supported her through. And obviously now she's done all right for herself, but that never would have happened if it wasn't for someone giving her a chance. And that's hopefully what we're trying to do here. Yeah. So when it comes to the, um, is it on like a case by case basis when people apply? Would it be the the families um, directly themselves or is it the school on their behalf how does it kind of work yeah so it would be anyone basically anyone that knows the kid it could be the kid themselves um, that the application process is not arduous at all it is the the easy the easiest application for a bit of money you'll probably ever fill in because we as schools we know about we know about them we know what they're going through we know what they're like it's more just to see um what they want to do and why they want to do it. Um, so they would just fill out a really easy application for we meet as a group. So there's a group of just short of 10 of us that meet with the applications when they come in um, and then sort of decide, depending on our how much money we've got, which is the problem, um, how many we can fund and to what level we can fund them. Um, purely because we don't want to just fund them as a one-off. Mm -hmm. I want to try and fund them for their 
I don't know, a few years, for definitely their school years. And obviously the dream would be to be able to support them later on in life. Um, but again, we're, we're only really launching in January. So we're going to start supporting the kids in se next September, purely because we need to have a little bit of money behind us before we can open up the applications to too many people. Um, but yeah, trying to make it easy as possible, really. And I know that some people don't like charity and don't want to apply to a charity, but it's not. I'm trying to get away from that aspect of it, that we're just trying to give them a good time. It's not, yeah. it's a luxury item that we're going to try and pay for because I don't think it's a luxury. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I think about it. So is the most um, like applied for out of all the sports? Um, well, again, we've not really formally launched it yet, but there's the, the sports that, like the aspirational sports that cost a lot of money, like your cricket, your rugby to an extent. Um, golf would obviously be the sports that are expensive um, which and even football clubs you know like it's easy to play football but some of the joining fees to, to clubs are pretty lumpy and yeah. like a minimum you're paying is sort of 200 250 for a joining fee which is if you think you're only earning 16 grand a year mm. you're not going to be able to do that plus paying for the boots plus paying for travel it's um just something they can't do yeah i think a lot of it probably is the travel isn't it because in my head i was just thinking like golf like some some golf clubs now are like 80 quid to join yeah. and obviously i know that like the obvious expense with golf is going to be the clubs but if you could get say if you got i don't know a free set of golf clubs um like secondhand 20 years old whatever it would be it would be um once you're there, I remember like going down the golf club, like I'm sort of, and as I said, like, I was very lucky that my parents got me any golf clubs that I needed and stuff. And, and I like, and I was a member of like a couple of golf clubs, but, but as I say, like it was like a, it's like 80 quid to join as a junior, but it's, then it's that sort of day to day. Like you got to get to the golf club. Like I remember my mum giving me a couple of quid for chips every day and things like that. And that's the things that all add up, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think it's, <clears throat> if you were to tell the golf club, look, this, this lad who's joined is underprivileged. I'm sure they'd be able to, and they would support them. And that's, yeah. although we, that doesn't financially cost us money, but that's the relationships we would hopefully forge with a lot of the, the partners in mm -hmm. that we're going to pay for them to join the golf club, but we'll also speak to the golf club and say, look, this, this lad is, he'll need a bit of feed if he's there. Yeah. Um, because a lot of them, like I said, do go to school just to get fed. Um, and that's why uh, Marcus Rashford's done a great thing with school holidays because some families just can't afford to feed them like during six weeks of holiday. And we've got a campaign running at the moment with Tim Hemmons Foundation to try and get the families, the most needed families, some food for Christmas, just like big bags of pasta and tomato sauce, just so that you know for those two weeks they're actually going to get yeah. some form of food in them. Mm. Yeah. What's your main, the main way that you raise money, Jack? So we're looking, we've got some donors at the moment. So some sort of big benefactors that are, are starting us off. Um, and then a lot of it will be through fundraising, uh, fundraising events or sponsorships. Um, hopefully when COVID decides to leave us alone for a bit, we'll be actually able to have sort of a, a launch dinner, which was meant to be in January. And, um, but it, it's not going to happen. So hopefully we can do it in the summer. Um, and then it's just hopefully spreading the word of what we can do with quite a little money. So 
I don't know, like it's obvious, isn't it? Like if lots of people give a pound, it adds up to quite a lot of money. Mm. And then that can support can support families. Um so yeah, a lot of it will be fundraising. And as a as a big trust, we've never we've never really done it. Um but we yeah, like I said, we've got nearly seventeen thousand fan well, students that even if they all gave a pound, that yeah. adds up to quite yeah. a substantial bit of money. Is there a somewhere that people can go um, in order to make donations already? Or is that something that's in plan? Yeah, so we've got a platform. So we've got an enthused platform, uh, which is like a just giving or a, um, and again, you can make small donations, monthly, weekly, one-off donations that um, are all going to add up. And at the end of the year, at the end of quarters, years, we're going to be able to support as many families as possible. The bit, And I think the biggest thing is there's lots of people out there with, not just money, but experience, stories. I mean, we did a great story with Dave about his upbringing and how sport changed his life. Mm. I think even if we can just show kids that there's hope, um, and just because they might not be able to afford everything, there is hope for them that we might be able to help them and we might be able to mentor them. We've got some some ambassadors, some sports and arts ambassadors that we can sort of mentor and partner these aspirational kids we've got some great sportsmen and women in the schools but they might not have the best role models to go by um so we're trying to have that element to it as well that if we've got a fantastic golfer for example i'll be on harry's case to speak to them and say can you give them some tips can you give them some advice being a pro golfer what do you say because they just don't have i I took for granted that i sat down for dinner with my mum and dad every night and talked about my day whereas that doesn't happen they don't have telly to watch a professional play or to sort of build those sort of aspirations and inspirations really um which we'll try and provide for them as well so is there um what's the um don't mind me asking what's the kind of uh, address or the site for um the, the page the just giving page as well yeah so so we're called so it's the enthused platform and then it's GLF's GLF schools foundation um and then, yeah, that will take you straight straight to it. And obviously there's, I love speaking to everyone about it. I don't want to, I could go on about it for days, like the need for something like this and what we can do. Um, so anyone, I'd love to speak to anyone about it, um, even if it's just to chat it over. Um, especially at this stage in our journey, pretty early on, we definitely need people who have been successful and the people that have um, want to support in any way. Um, happy for any sort of support at this stage for sure. Cool, cool. What I'll do is I'll grab the like the exact links as well, and I'll chuck them below the podcast as well, so anyone who okay. comes onto it can go straight from there. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Cheers, Alan. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Jack, that's um, yeah, it's that's that's, that's uh, it's quite emotional, isn't it? When you when you sort of <laughs> actually think about it, you think, oh, like you just the things you take for granted when you were younger. Yeah. But I think I could tell you some real stories. Right? There's one the school I'm in tomorrow, actually. There's one family. They've got they live in a one bed flat. There's six, there's six um, children, and they take it in turns to sleep in the bed. Like it's not even guaranteed that every night you get to stay in the bed. And you're like, Christ! Like, I definitely took that for granted. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. like, look at things like that. We obviously you take them to swimming because you have to be in lower schools. And one lad, the first time he saw a swimming pool, he put his foot on it, and obviously fell through because it's water. Yeah. He had no idea. He was like. What is that then? You're like, well, that's water. They've never been to the beach. They've never been to a farm. They've never been 
Yeah. You think that, I don't know, we went to the cinema to see James Bond and that, that costs you 50 quid. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's actually a lot of money. Yeah. Um, that people just don't have and we we sort of take it for granted, we just do it on a whim and it's fine. Um, but yeah, it does open your eyes a little bit. Jack, have you got any, have you got any like fundraisers that you're doing or that other people are doing at the moment or? So the biggest, obviously we've got the launch, we're launching to all our schools in January. Um, just to try and get a little bit of feedback, a little bit of a network around us of um, yeah, people to help us basically to get going. Because we're effectively a startup, a startup. We've got no money to even get a fundraising event. Like I looked at a launch dinner, and that sort of costs minimum sort of five, six grand. So I need to get a little bit of money behind it before we can even look at doing a launch dinner. Yeah vicious circle isn't it but um but we'll hopefully be doing a, a dinner in the summer um, <clears throat> and just do a dinner and a golf day this year yeah um, as two sort two events keep it simple but do them well um and then see where we go from there and then launch the actual giving um in september when we've got a bit of money yeah well sign us up Mate, yeah, I'm sure we'll um we'll get a few teams down and um we'll get as involved as we as we possibly can. Mate. Amazing. Yeah, be hey, great. Thanks very much for coming on. That's, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, mate, well, well done and good luck. Yeah. Cheers. That's what. Cheers for having me. No yeah. worries. Really appreciate your time, mate. No worries.